Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Very familiar words of the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. I ponder them and think about them from time to time as I remember walking across London Bridge. As you walk north across the bridge, on the left-hand side, you'll see there's a magnificent building just on the edge of the river. It's one of the old uh, guild halls. In fact, it's the worshipful company of fishmongers, of all people. But they've got a beautiful building. And as you walk off the bridge and look left at the building, over the main door, there's a, a sign there which is carved into the very stone, as I remember correctly. And it says, all worship be to God only. I can never pass that building without looking again at the sign and when I see the sign it reminds me of, of a couple of things of, of the first commandment but also of the blasphemous claims of the New Testament. I don't know whether you've ever pondered just how blasphemous the New Testament is. Welcome to this podcast from Two Ways Ministries. I'm Philip Jensen. Well, what about a wedding? Have you been to a wedding? There are all kinds of vows that are made and they are very important because they're spelling out the nature of the relationship that the couple is entering into. It's really why de facto marriages are so silly because people are going into this most important, life-changing relationship without actually sitting down and saying publicly, working out for themselves even sometimes privately, what the nature of this relationship is. But at a wedding, it's all spelled out. And everybody is there, both sides of the family are there, to hear what is going to be the basis of this relationship, the, the content, the agreement of it. I mean, the initiative's already been taken. It's not that you just kind of turn up at a wedding and then, for the very first time, somebody proposes and somebody gives consent. The wedding comes well and truly after the initiative, hasn't it? I mean, you would hope so. He's already proposed. In fact, you're, you've been engaged to be married for some little while because you've already given consent. And so what we have here is formally publicly acknowledging this consent and this consent in the context of an agreement well that's something of the context of the, the ten commandments israel had already been rescued out of slavery from egypt and taken to mount sinai and there god initiates his relationship with this nation this nation that he's going to take as his bride, as he is going to be the nation's husband, so to speak. It's so the covenant, the contract, the, the very event up there on Mount Sinai. It's like the wedding between God and his people as he spells out what it is to be God's people. I mean, it is different. He is spelling out what it is for the nation, not just an individual, to be his people. But the concept of the, the covenant or contract, the concept of his initiative and making promises, the concept of what the relationship will be like and how it is to be like, well, it's very much like a wedding. It's God spelling out what it is to be God's people, how it is that God's people are to live 
and how God's people live very differently to those who are not God's people. (laughs) When we come to our weddings, we ask, will you love her, comfort her, honour and keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all other, keep only unto her as long as you both shall live? And you promise, I take you to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till we're parted by death. Well, that's what the husband is promising. The wife's promises at this point are pretty much the same. See, these are the promises of marriage. The response is not, I do, like nearly every Hollywood movie makes it. The response is, I will. Because we're not talking about whether you love, but we're talking about whether you will love, whether you will have and hold each other. And the promises, well, they're exclusive promises. Forsaking all other, you will keep only unto him, only unto her. And they're permanent promises. It's not something that for the rest of the day, it's the rest of your life as long as you both shall live, till we're parted by death. They are exclusive, permanent demands, which is what marriage requires of us to really function as marriage. It's not a short-term relationship. It's not a, a relationship which is open to others. It is exclusive. It is permanent. And so there are to be no other, is the nature of this, permanent exclusive relationship no one else before you or beside you as God puts it that is there is to be no other I mean how many gods are there well of course that depends on your definition doesn't it I mean I don't know whether you've ever thought of trying to define the word God it it just means ruler generally supernatural ruler but in another sense it's whatever somebody worships isn't it I mean, there are all kinds of makeup gods that the modern Westerners like to talk about. You know, I like to think of, well, you might like to think of your God this way, but that doesn't mean that there is such a being. Other people are, well, my God is, well, your God, my God, everybody has a different God. Is there a real God? Is there, what is being meant by God? In the 12-step programs, Everybody has to define their own God in a sense. And of course, people make up some very strange gods as the ones who are going to preserve them and keep them, which when you've just made the God up, it's pretty hard to work out how that God's going to preserve you or keep you. Now, for many people, God is frankly just plain normal self-centeredness. My life is all about me. And so... That is whom I worship. Uh, Culturally, of course, there are different gods. And each of these different gods have different demands. But in reality, there really is only one ultimate God. The God of all gods. The God who has created and made us all. For though there are many gods and many lords, says the New Testament, in fact, there is only one God, the creator of all. But this commandment here, we have the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me or besides me. It's not a command about your theory, your philosophy, your theology of of monotheism. It's actually about 
your practice. It's, it's an existential, not a theoretical commandment. It's whether you are going to have God as the one and only God of your life. You're going to have a God. <laughs> have is a funny word, isn't it? We use it in the wedding to have and to hold. But we get kind of over-familiar with the words and don't stop and ponder what it means. You see, it's a belonging word. It's a relational word. It's a phrase whose force we miss because of over-familiarity. But I'm going to have you as my wife. I'm going to have you as my husband. I'm going to hold on to you as my spouse. Remember those words in the wedding service, to have and to hold? It's the language you use of both husband and wife. They both promise to have and to hold, to have as my husband, to have as my wife. And how I have them is spelt out in the rest of the promises. I'm going to have you as my spouse for better or for worse. No matter what happens in life, you are going to be my wife. You are going to be my husband. I'm going to hold on to you as husband, as wife, for richer, for poorer. I'm going to love you. I'm going to cherish you. doesn't matter what the circumstances of life, whatever happens to us, our having each other, our holding each other is the permanent, is the establishment of all else that is taking place. And here in this first commandment, if we're Yahweh's people and Yahweh is our God, then we're to have Yahweh as our God and to hold him as our God. And that means... First and foremost, no other gods but him. No other gods before him, besides him. Now, there are other things about what it means to have God that will be spelled out in the other commandments, you know, numbers 2 through to 10. But initially, the first thing that's said is it means that you have your God. What does it mean to have Yahweh as your God? Well, it depends on your God. See, if your God is a statue, then the way to have your statue God is by cleaning it, is by polishing it, is by bowing down before it, leaving presents out to it and, and food for it, or lighting candles in front of it, or joss sticks in front of it. You know, one of my local shopping centres, they used to have a statue God out the back of the shopping centre. And to have their God, they actually had to get the security people to protect it. They had to put a shade over it to stop the birds dropping on it. They had to actually put a big cage around it to stop people stealing the presents that had been left in front of it. But that was to have their statue God. <laughs> if your God was Moloch, well, you have God, Moloch as your God, by sacrificing your son to him. I mean, if your God is the family then you live your life for them and you live your life through them. If your God is your career, well, you become a workaholic. It depends on what your God is as to how to have your God. For whatever God you worship, you find out soon enough what your God requires. And whatever it, he, she requires, you'll have to give freely or otherwise. If your God is success then you, your family, and your life will be given to that monstrous God. If your God is yourself, then anything and everything will be tinged by self-centred bias, if not overwhelmed by your narcissism. 
See, what we're being called to in the first commandment is to be committed to God exclusively. For that is how you have Yahweh. For he is the one and only true God. For the Israelites, this is a commitment to the God, not just who created all, but to the God who rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. They are to now live in his land, his way, to live their lives for him by his laws. So the first commandment is an invitation like marriage to an exclusive and permanent commitment to God alone. No other, not one other, before or besides me. Well, in marriage, it's much the same. There's lots of other men, there's lots of other women. But you're to have and to hold this one, and this one only. So too, you're to have no other gods in his sight. There's not a company of gods like the Greek pantheon. There's, there's just one god, the single god. And you're not to have another god as an alternative or in addition to Yahweh. I have one wife, and all others are excluded. So you see that great livery company of London, the worshipful company of fishmongers, established as, I don't know if it's their motto, but it's written over their door, all worship be to God only. <laughs> that word only is so strong. The God who is to be their one and only God defines himself because he is the one and only God. I remember Jermaine Greer. Do you remember Jermaine Greer? She's still alive, still writing. Always been interesting as Jermaine Greer, great women's libber as she was seen because liberation is so important to her. Jermaine was always critical of people writing biographies of her and the like because she always wants to define herself. She doesn't want to be defined by other people. Well, God has a much greater basis for demanding that he defines himself. He is the only one who can explain himself. And he does by two things here, his name and his action. His name, Yahweh, and his action, rescuing them out of Egypt. His name is Yahweh. I don't wish to be blasphemous at this point. We don't know how to pronounce the name, really. We just have four Hebrew consonants. The Jews didn't pronounce his name. Whenever they read those four consonants, they put in another word in its place. The word Lord in English. That's why in your Old Testaments, you'll often see that the word Lord is printed in uppercase. Because in the Hebrew text, it's the name of God, which, well, best guess is Yahweh, but my Hebrew and my accent won't be right, even if I spread the word correctly. But you'll hear me just using this word. It, it actually is a word that's connected to the verb to be. And if you remember God, when he first revealed himself to Moses, said, I am who I am, I will be who I will be. That's the God that is sending you. But he also reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 33, when he talks about Yahweh, Yahweh, a God who is faithful and loving. There's two little Hebrew words that he used, you see. One is a word about faithfulness, truthfulness, trustworthiness. And the other is the word about lovingness, loving, gracious, merciful. Two chief characteristics of Yahweh, of the name Yahweh, of the person of, of God himself, so to speak. But 
secondly, in terms of the Ten Commandments, it's not just his name, but it's also what he has just done for them, redemption. He's just purchased them out of the slavery of Egypt by the great plagues, especially the Tenth Plague, by the crossing of the Red Sea and bringing them to Mount Sinai. And so he's not only the kind of creator of all, but here in this relationship, this marriage with the people, he is their redeemer. He has chosen the nation. He has, by his initiative, loved them, fulfilling his faithful promises to their forefathers, Abraham and the like. But he is the redeemer. And so he is saying, all worship should be to me only. But like I said, when I read that on that building in London, it makes me ponder again about the blasphemy of Christianity. For we know the Lord Jesus Christ is the bridegroom of God's assembled people. So how can you have God only and Jesus? You remember the Apostle Thomas? We've just been through Easter. I don't know when you're listening to this, but I'm listening. I'm talking to you just just a few days after Easter. And there's that great moment when Thomas, who everyone remembers is the doubter, also made the great profession. I mean, Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas was a Jew. Thomas was one who has had Yahweh as his God. And now he's calling this man in front of him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus does not reject this claim. For Jesus then said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. <laughs> a little while later, in Matthew's Gospel, we read that Jesus is there with the eleven disciples. He's risen from the dead. He's about to depart from them. And he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now suddenly we see God, not just as Yahweh, but as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Indeed, it's the way in which Christians live. Paul's in prison. Do you remember? He writes about it in, in the letters of the Philippians. And he makes that great claim. He, I mean, he doesn't know whether he's going to live and go on ministering the gospel or whether he's going to die as a result of his imprisonment. But he says it doesn't matter either way because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If Yahweh is his God, how can he live for Christ unless Christ is Yahweh? He wrote to the Corinthians too, the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded that one has died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The one you live for is your God. And within the New Testament, that is clearly, manifestly, Jesus. If Jesus is not God... The New Testament is blasphemous in the extreme. If Jesus is God, 
There is nothing else that we can do other than live for him. Only. You see, each time I walk across that bridge and I look at that building, it reminds me about Christianity and the blasphemous claim that it makes unless it is true. And if it is true, the blasphemy of not worshipping Jesus as God only. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed to us your Son, full of grace and truth, full of love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, and we praise you in his name. Amen. to this new podcast from Philip Jensen and Two Ways Ministries. Philip will be bringing to you new regular episodes on a variety of topics and current issues. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with his latest.